I am Alon Benmir, and welcome to another episode of On the Issues. My guest today is Congressman Robert Wexler, President of the Daniel Abraham Center for Middle East Peace. You can find his full bio on the page for this episode. Why the United States is consistently supporting Israel, even though successive American administrations have been saying time and again that the settlement is, is not helpful that it is process. Many are saying it's also illegal, of course. And, but no American administration really took any specific steps to penalize, to, right. to pressure Israel to yeah. stop, other than the talk. Look at, I mean, Obama was probably the, the one who put more pressure on Israel in this, in this area than any of his predecessors in terms mm, of the uh, settlements. I would disagree. Okay. Who? Well, President, first President Bush. Bush, yeah. Well, did Bush more. was. Carter was, did more. Uh, Carter, yeah, Car but go, in, you're right. Carter, going back, you're going to go back many years when in fact the settlements were few. And, and President Bush. Second President Bush put plenty of pressure. Only uh, on the it was just a different Israeli leadership. Sharon uh, didn't yeah. ignore it. Well, also most of them ignoring it. Most of them. Yeah, no, they it. continued yeah. to build. But, yeah, they continued, but when yeah. Bush was serious, Sharon came up with constructive solutions. Yeah. Well, Bush Bush held this ten ten billion dollar guarantee as a as a crutch, yeah. but that is because Israel requested that. So he said, well, we won't give it to you. But there was no initiative on the part of the United States. Said, if you're done, we're going to do this. Right. So he basically did not want to give it. Okay, them. but yeah. Obama uh, gave the yeah. largest security package that's in my history. Point. So my I don't think you can say. That's my point. Yes. No, but can. this is exactly the point. Yes. He's talking the talks. Don't build, don't build, it's right. bad. And then end up giving $38 billion right. for over 10 years for military yeah. aid. That's what I'm talking about. Yeah. That's what I'm talking about. Right. So, so my, my, because you've been so much involved in this, and you are so pro-Israel, for good reason, me too. <laughs> uh, where, what do you attribute this unequivocal support of the United States to Israel? That is, I mean, it, obviously it has a number of sources, a number of reasons. But what, what do you, what's your personal take on it? Uh, you know, I mean, I don't want to start my, my sense of it, but what what it is it thing? Because it's more than one issue. Obviously, there's half a dozen reasons why the United States continue to support Israel. There are many reasons. Um, yeah. uh, first and foremost is is a shared set of values between the United States yeah. and Israel that yeah. cannot be underestimated. Yeah. Yeah. And subsequent to 9-11, that shared sense of values uh, from an American perspective, I, I believe is even more pronounced when Americans look out upon the world and they see those countries that truly share America's uh, commitment and passion for uh, freedom, for civil rights, for uh, democracy, for uh, liberalization of, of the role of women in society, respect for uh, judicial independence, uh, in the Middle East, uh, obviously Israel stands far and above any other uh, comparison. So there's there's a set of values that provide a foundation. But what I also think is sometimes overlooked currently in Israel 
uh, is the essential role that the American Jewish community has played, both in terms of the way that it has successfully assimilated into American life uh, in all fields over the past several decades. And the result is a uh, increase in support between the United States and Israel by non-Jewish Americans, a familiarity, a sense of, of partnership, a sense of commonality, not just in values, but in way of life and perspectives that under, undergirds the relationship. Uh, also outside of the Jewish community in the United States, of course, is the extraordinary respect uh, that the evangelical community well, that's, in America that's a provides. Big, big factor, of yeah. course. And it's, it's a big factor politically. Politically, of course, um, domestically. In, mm -hmm. Domestically, in terms of communities where often there is a very small American Jewish community. Obviously, there are large evangelical communities that provide a, a perspective of support for American Israeli relations. That's different than the Jewish communities. Perspective. Yeah, but I think I think this particular point is probably the far more relevant and important to the politicians here. That is, many politicians, including the presidents, Congress, House, Senate, many of them probably will not be elected unless there is a strong support from the evangelicals. Don't you think? Sure, but and I the evangelical support to Israel is unequivocal. I mean, that's by extension. Those who do not go along and support Israel, many potentially could not make it in areas where there is overwhelming evangelical uh, presence. Well, I think you might be overstating it a bit. Um, it's true that the evangelical community supports Israel wholeheartedly, and it's a very important source of strength. But let's not exaggerate the role that Israel plays in the domestic politics of the United States. America's relationship with Israel, for me, for you, for, for certain people in the United States, is central to, to our thinking. But in most elections in the United States, the, the focus is on the economy, the focus is on local industry, on local, uh, the local economy. To the extent that the focus becomes on foreign policy, it tends to be on terrorism, it tends to be on American soldiers, where American soldiers are fighting in Iraq, in Afghanistan, wherever it may be. This is true, but you know, in every election, almost with no exception, very few countries are mentioned, but Israel is always mentioned. Yeah, Our it support is. for Israel, you know, there's yeah. a reason for it. Sure. Why they mention Israel of all, singling out Israel, even in the last speech, <laughs> in the you know his State of the Union, mm -hmm. one country by name was mentioned, right. and that is Israel. Right. So, and that is very consistent by all administrations. Israel is singled out, and there's there's a message behind it. There's no question sure. in my mind. There's a message behind it. Where this message to not to the Israelis, and not no. to the Jewish community. Oh, sure, it is it, to the Jewish community. Well, of course I mean, it is. Of course it is. The Jewish community has always been, you know, there for Israel, is no question. But now, now it is waning. I think the support of no, the no, Jewish community... No, 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 no. With all due respect, you, you're, not, you're not saying it properly. It's not that the American Jewish community is there for Israel, which it is. The American Jewish community is profoundly engaged in American politics. This is absolutely and, true. And that's why it's mentioned. It's mentioned, of course, because of evangelical community interest in the issue. 
But the question is, yes, it's mentioned. Yes, there are reasons. Yes, and I'm glad there are political consequences for affirming one's support for the American-Israeli relationship, positive consequences. But still, Americans vote on their pocketbook issues. They vote on things important to their local communities. They vote on foreign policy issues most concentrated on the American military, on terrorism, and so forth, um, to, to foist the American-Israeli relationship up into the top one, two, or three issues, I think misrepresents the strength of the relationship. Because then one can say, well, let's look and see what issues Americans identify as their top 10. Well, rarely will they identify Israel. But there's no question about it. By not identifying, it does not mean... Can you imagine anyone running for the Senate or for the House during the campaign will be attacking American foreign policy because it's been supporting supportive of Israel all these years. Well, no. Uh, what, but what would that per person? No. What, what, but but that is my point. Yeah, here. but hold on. <laughs> there actually was one man who who did speak differently about America's relationship with Israel, certainly at the beginning and through the middle of his campaign, and that was Donald Trump, and he was quite successful. Well, but look what's happening. I, mean, oh, I understand uh, what's yeah, happening, yeah, but evangelicals did yeah, not move yeah. away from Donald Trump when Donald Trump uh, was somewhat critical in certain respects of Israel's traditional posture. Uh, now, yeah, he changed they, his tone. Very quickly, very quickly. Yeah, once very he, quickly. Once we but he paid running. no price. Well, he paid no, but because he changed his tone so early okay. in the campaign. I mean, right. it wasn't like he stuck to We it. agree. We well, agree. I mean, let's, 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 no, I'm not here to argue yeah, with no, you. Yeah, no, but we agree. We agree. <laughs> my, my point is I'm really, I'm learning. I'm not here to, I want to hear. I, I'm actually writing a work on this now. And I, I have obviously some different take as what your basis. I agree with the American Jewish community has an influence. I agree that certainly the evangelical. I probably apply more relevance, uh, more important to that than you do. Um, well, it, it, it depends. It's, that's actually, you, you need to divide it up in a partisan sense and so yeah, forth. Yeah. Obviously, within the Democratic Party, the influence of the American Jewish community would be more pronounced than would be the influence of evangelical uh, the evangelical Christian community, although in the state of Iowa or in the state yeah. of Ohio in the South or in different parts of the, the Midwest or, or different rural communities, even where it might be a Democratic representative, the influence of the evangelical community will be significant. But even in the Republican Party, where obviously the voter impact of the evangelical community will be disproportionately higher, the influence of prominent uh, Jewish Americans in the Republican Party has grown substantially over the last 20 years. Look at the people most involved in the Republican National Committee on the finance side, on the policy side, on many of the different uh, attributes, and there are prominent Jewish Americans. No, no doubt, but I, I, you know, I mean, this this is true. I just want to go into more into nuances here in terms of do do you believe? I mean, I I see this happening. Do you believe that there is still erosion 
That is, many Americans now are looking at Israel and looking at the occupation. And these the values we're talking about before, they see we have similar values. Israel is democracy, equal rights, uh, respect for the judiciary, and all of that. This is all true. But there is now an erosion in terms of what's happening, say, in the last five, six years in particular, uh, s since the formation of the last government, when you have Shaked trying to temper with the, with the judiciary, trying to appoint uh, judges who are not going to be favoring really being a judge and go with the issues, but those who are going to look at the Palestinian issues dif differently. The occupation itself is causing Syria. Many, many American Jews are very concerned. That is the, degra the degradation of, Amer of Israel moral principle, which we sort of take and say, well, we support Israel because here is the Jews, democracy, freedom, and all of that. That is also eroding. Do you see that erosion taking place among the Jewish community and certainly among the larger American community? Um, certainly there is an erosion as, as you describe it in terms of identity and affinity uh, between uh, Jewish Americans and Israel, particularly when you look at it uh, from the perspective of younger Americans. I think it's uh, possibly a simplification to simply point to Israel's policies regarding uh, the West Bank uh, and and settlement building to say oh that's the reason Israel has been you know as no, you no, well that's know one of them, has been one building of them. settlements for decades and they built settlements under left of center governments labor led governments and they build them today under right of center governments led by the Likud um, so I I you know while certainly increased focus on settlements. Uh, uh, does create a division and adds to that division. Uh, I think it's broader than that. And, and when I say broader, what I mean is there's a perspective, and I don't think it's necessarily 100% correct, but there's a perspective amongst younger Jewish Americans uh, as they adopt a more liberalized approach to life and to ethics and to the different issues that motivate them uh, they look at Israel and at times see possibly a different direction, although that's not entirely fair. Um, uh, you know, in terms of the rights of, of the different uh, communities in Israel, um, whether it be gay rights or the liberalization in terms of adoptions and things of that nature for couples of, of same-sex couples, Israel's a leader in many respects. So... While, yes, it is true that there is a growing division, and certainly an increased focus on expanded settlements doesn't help and probably hurts. Um, and yes, questions, particularly in the Jewish community, when there's a rigidity with respect to conversions and the rights of women to, to well, pray in certain good, ways yeah. at the Kotel. I mean, that got a lot more play. Uh, exactly, yeah. Um, yeah. The Kotel yeah. Than, than settlements did for many years. Um, and so if that's a indicator of the emotions of the American Jewish community, I think that would support a different hypothesis, meaning that it's the social issues uh, that when they create a division cause a bigger divide than necessarily the settlement policies. I would argue it's an accumulation. Okay. I mean, there is accumulation, but let, let's, let me, let, you know, if you ask most Israelis today, and I'm sure you, you, you heard this and seen this, they will tell you what matters to them as far as countries around the world are concerned, including the EU. 
The United States is the most important ally, bar none, and second to none. So for most, for all most Israelis, the United States matters the most, obviously. Now think about it in those terms. As a result of this, since the United States, albeit criticized Israel occasionally here and there, but or put some pressure, minimal pressure, really, is in my view, if the situation today it is what it is, and we are on the verge, basically, last vestiges of what's left of this two-state solution. I feel very strongly that the United States became the enabler. That is, the United States policies towards Israel made it possible for the Israelis to get to this point where the prospect for real peace based on a two-state solution practically has diminished, if not dead already. That is what I see happening as a continuing of this policy. Is it good for Israel? That is, my feeling is that with the best of intention, of the successive administration, with the best of intention of the Jewish community, with the, with the affinity and love, aff affiliation, with Israelis' values, American values, what we have done here basically enabled the Israelis to continue with this path, both part from the left, from center, right of center, right of center, pretty much, maybe with the exception of merits, pretty much continue exactly what you said, to build the settlement. We got to a point we have created now irreversible facts. As a matter of fact, in my view, on the ground, who's going to evacuate 500,000 or 200,000, or even 100,000? That's what I feel where America has, has been very short-sighted. In, in, in the name of loving Israel, protecting Israel, taking care of Israel, we also enabled Israel to get into this terrible spot today. And the Israelis themselves, seem to think, well, we are where we are. We are, from the Netanyahu perspective, they've achieved a great deal. And Obama and Trump came in and gave him the biggest surprise and then historic in, in its dimension. And, and so here you have the, this, uh, the problem that is out of love. No, was no, if it was tough love, it's one thing. But it wasn't tough love. I, I would respectfully differ a, a bit in terms of the totality of the perspective. Um, certainly you're correct that America uh, has, as you say, enabled uh, certain Israeli policies, but I, I think you're, you're only focusing on part of the equation of both the relationship and the consequences of the relationship. For instance, I, I think you would agree that any Israeli government, whether it's right of center or left of center, can only, would only be able to effectuate a realistic offer with respect to a negotiated two-state outcome if it felt secure enough, strong enough in terms of its defensive capability uh, to make such an offer. And without American support throughout the decades, uh, that level of Israeli confidence never would have been realized. Only with Israel maintaining, preserving, and even pushing ahead with its qualitative military advantage does it allow Israel to be in a political posture to engage seriously with respect to a negotiated two-state outcome. So you got to give America credit for that. Well, the, this is true, but we have to separate now between providing the kind of security and the support from a security perspective versus what Israel is doing in the territories. Well, yes, I mean, you can, I mean, yeah. but you, what you suggested, which certainly there is a level of truth to, which is 
the settlement policies are the ones that are undermining the, the possibility of a two-state solution. And surely that is uh, part of the equation. But also part of the equation is that in order to effectuate a two-state solution, Israel must be secure and must have its defensive capabilities at an all-time high. Provided, are, provided, provided you leave opening, but you have to also leave opening for prospective solution to the Israeli policy. But that opening was a closing of while course. the United States has been yes. doing nothing, practically nothing, to prevent that from happening. That's what okay. I am saying. Well, that's also where I think your description is, is a bit unfair. Yes, American policies, thankfully, have largely not been punitive with respect to Israel. But on the other hand, um, it was President Clinton, along with Prime Minister Barack and, and, and then Arafat, who all but negotiated a end to the conflict only to have it not be successful, um, at least disproportionately decisions made by the Palestinian leadership. Again, Olmert and Abbas, with the engagement of the United States, brought the level of negotiation even further. Olmert's offer was more generous than was Barack's in certain oh, respects. No, no, I agree with you. I'm not so, actually suggesting that the Palestinians were right. I know you're not. No, not at I all. I know you're not. I think they were their own worst enemy their own worst enemy. So the, from a perspective of negotiation, I absolutely have no problem with that. Okay. Uh, yeah. So, but, but, but how two, can... But nothing, one, one has nothing to do with the other. Oh, no, but that's where I would differ. How <laughs> yeah. can one say America is an enabler of Israeli settlement policy, but not recognize at least that however you describe America's role in terms of its support for Israel, the totality of its role, it also enabled America to bring Prime Minister Barak to where he got to in terms of his offer to the Palestinians, which was unfortunately rejected, and allowed America or enabled America to help bring Prime Minister Omer to the offer that he made. It's two-sided. Yeah, yeah, but um, again, this is all true. This is all true. The question is, when we look today, if you look today, what is the biggest stumbling block? Of course, you don't have leadership among the Palestinians going willing, able to make the kind of concession necessary to make peace. I grant you that. There's no question. I don't think anything is going to happen. This is visionary, strong, powerful leadership in among the Palestinians. Abbas is not going to deliver peace. He's, he, this is dead in arrival as far as, as I'm concerned. He can't, nor can Netanyahu for that matter, because of his wedded. Netanyahu is not interested in two-state solution, period. He said it himself. It's not going to happen under his watch. What I'm saying is the combination of all of this put together has created now a situation where we started, you and I, very beginning, it's as gloomy as it can be. Right. That's what I'm saying. So which means not, not exclusively with America was a partner, a party to the enablement of Israel. But Israelis' policy was the right policy? Of course not. Were the Palestinians did, did the right thing? Of course not. Olmert would have been able to achieve peace had, had Abbas was smart enough to think, well, because they're the stumbling, really big problem was the, the land swap, the percentages, and what Olmert demanded versus what, what, uh, what Abbas. Um, but I think had this been the only problem, it could have been resolved. But that is not the only problem. Well, 
That's I mean, on the surface. That Prime was a Minister Omer yeah. essentially offered yeah. 6% yeah. in terms of yeah. a land swap. Yeah. Uh, yes. President Abbas Abbas's position was 2%. Yeah, even less, 1.8. Um, one, okay, yeah, yeah. 1. 1.8, 1. 1.9. Mm -hmm. um, and there are a series of maps, both at the time and developed subsequently, uh, that would certainly allow for what would appear to be a reasonable conclusion for both sides at roughly 3.8 or 4.0 that would allow about 80% of the Jewish Israelis that live beyond the 1967 lines, east of the 67 lines, to be incorporated into Israel's new internationally recognized borders. So I don't think that while, while I differ and oppose Israel's settlement policies as they go out further into the West Bank, I, I think it is responsible to identify the difference between those settlements that would logically impede the negotiation success of a two-state solution and those that do not. Oh, no question. No and, question. And so, uh, 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 broad generalizations. No, no, I think I'm don't the get last. No, I'm the last. I know one you don't. No, I'm just no. saying in general. I, I mean, the, as a matter of fact, uh, the three blocks of settlement, plus perhaps a few others, you know, there will be under any circumstances part and parcel of Israel, have near, nearly eighty percent of the settlers. So it's not like uh, all these the settlers spread all over the, the West Bank have very, relatively speaking, only 20% really of the settlers. Right. The majority of them are in the area where Israel right. is. Yeah. So s s having said that, nevertheless, what, what you have today now comes Trump. I hate to call him president. I'm not used to calling no, him president. He is the president. <laughs> he is the president. <laughs> comes Trump. Now he said one state, two states, it doesn't matter. What kind of signal does that give to the Israelis? As well to the Palestinians. Yeah, no, it's a terrible signal. So, so, terrible. So, so, so he now added another layer of, of confusion, of difficulties right. to the whole process. Where do we go from here? Yeah. You know, we may differ on some of the numbers and the details, the causes behind what happened, but I think we understand, you and I agree, uh, the, the, the accumulative impact of the mistakes by all parties involved. The United States has contributed to the impasse. That's how I say contributor, not the main contributor, sure. but certainly contributor to the sure. impact. And now it's even getting worse sure. under this administration. American policy for the last several days has no doubt contributed to the impasse, but I would not conclude, however, that in terms of the size of that contribution, that that it is a meaningful discussion at this point. Uh, the, the The focus should be on the requirements of both the Israelis and the Palestinians to exercise their right of self-determination in a manner that is consistent with their historical narrative, with respects their security interests, and at the same time recognizes that while they may not agree with the narrative, the historical narrative of the other side, that it is a legitimate narrative that must be honored, that must be respected, and accommodated in a political sense. And I think American administrations, um, Republican and Democratic alike, alike, have acted in accordance with that principle. So yeah, um, thank goodness American administrations and the American Congress has been uh, so supportive of Israel that we do not act in a punitive way. Because you know why? And I think you would agree. There have been so many punitive actors throughout history towards 
uh, both the state of Israel and the Jewish people, that America, thank goodness, and Americans, but the vast majority of them, do not want to participate in that type of a historical role. Well, when, uh, you know, with, I mean, it's a punitive action. Obviously, we're not talking about imposing or sanctions or things of the sort. America has so many levers to use. To, to exert sure. a kind of influence, I mean, pressure. Okay, but let's give America yeah. some credit. Why? Yeah. Oh, no, is, no question. But, 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 but hold on. Why is the E1 corridor to date still not built upon by successive Israeli governments? Why is at least East Jerusalem still connected to the West Bank so that if a negotiated two state outcome were to occur, it would still be possible, theoretically, for a Palestinian state, a newly created Palestinian state, to be contiguous, to be connected from Jerusalem to the West Bank. It's because of the positions of Republican and Democratic administrations for the last 25 years who but, have stood in the way. But this now, whether President Trump's administration will do the same is a question mark. Well, that's the point. That's the point. I mean, it's been deteriorating, and now we are at the point almost of no return if he continues with the current policy, and if Netanyahu, God forbid, is re-elected. Yes, I mean, and <laughs> yeah, those are legitimate questions. <laughs> and that's, that's what the, my, those con are that legitimate is the questions. my concern. So, so you've, been, you've been active politically, you've been an advisor, and, and, uh, and I think, uh, as far as I know about you, you did an amazing job. What would, you, what would you recommend today if President Trump came to you and said, tell me? What shall we do in order to advance it? And I'm not being facetious. No, I know you're not. I really am I, not. I would say to President Trump that he has an enormous swell of goodwill that he has built up uh, with uh, Prime Minister Netanyahu and equally important with the Israeli people. Uh, he has developed a degree of confidence in terms of average Israelis in, in his performance, in his commitment to the state of Israel and its security, to use that degree of goodwill as a negotiating tool to help facilitate the goals and objectives that he sought to build when he made his first trip to Saudi Arabia and Israel. Meaning, President Trump rightly identified the dynamic, the emerging very strong dynamic of the Sunni Arab states, moderate states in the Gulf that have a coherence of interest with the state of Israel and with the United States and countering Iran. And what I would advise President Trump is use that accumulation of goodwill, continue his effort to prevent Iran from becoming a nuclear power. He's uh, announced that he will insist upon a renegotiation of the Iran nuclear agreement. Work, I would suggest to President Trump with the French president, President Macron, who played a very constructive role, the French did, in terms of America and its negotiation with Iran. Ask President Macron to work with the Iranians and bring along the European bloc to extend the sunset provision on the Iranian nuclear agreement, include in ballistic missiles and their destructive approach to the region into outside understandings. It doesn't need to be in the nuclear agreement, just additional agreements. 
uh, and, and make certain that Iran's treacherous behavior in the region becomes more addressed than it is today. And at the same time, if that is successful, legitimately be able to argue to the Israeli leadership and to the Israeli people that America has constructively laid out a dynamic in the region that allows Israel the space in which to resolve its issue with the Palestinians in both a way that increases its security and the likelihood that extremist groups and regional war cannot break out to Israel's benefit, for Israel to maybe take a more generous approach, not a, an approach that in any way de-emphasizes its security needs, but a more generous approach in terms of allowing Palestinian dignity. Palestinians should have their capital of their new state in the Arab neighborhoods of Jerusalem. That is of no or little consequence to the state of Israel in terms of its security or the sanctity of Jewish holy sites. Give Palestinians a sense of dig dignity by honoring their right of return, but make that honor apply to the new state of Palestine, not to the state of Israel, and ensure once and for all that Israel has internationally recognized borders. And at the same time, President Trump can <clears throat> usher in an era in which Israel enjoys economic benefits with the neighboring states that it has never enjoyed before in the open, that can flourish, that can bring in increases in gross domestic and national product that are unforeseen in terms of their tremendous potential, and allow the energy finds that uh, are very important but shouldn't be overemphasized both in Israel and Egypt and possibly off of what would be the Gaza coast to enable a regional approach to, to these increased energy finds and maybe a way to bring in Cyprus and possibly Turkey, which is a whole other story, but the most lucrative or most economical routes usually go through Turkey. Um, and to do all that in the next two or three years because the urgency for a two-state solution is real and the humanitarian crisis in Gaza um, has gotten to a point where it, it will have dramatic negative consequences, both the Israelis and to the Palestinians. And if President Trump doesn't do all this, or at least to make an attempt, I would respectfully suggest to him he's not taking advantage of the extraordinary steps he has taken so far to develop this degree of goodwill with the Israelis. Yeah, I think, I think, I think you're right. The only, um, there's, a, there's a lot of if, obviously. That's, of course. That's my concern here. There's a if and if. And, and I'm not undermining what you're saying, and I think the scenario is it's a plausible. But you're going to have to, we have to deal with the ifs. Uh, that, that, that is an open question. Let me tell you the Israelis what they say, those who are not necessarily feel the same way in connection with all of these issues. Economically speaking, they are dealing now open markets in India and China, which is by far will exceed anything they can do with the Arab state. Uh, again, the, I'm not right. saying they are right, but this right. is thinking that yeah, those sure. terms. The, the, 
the lack of peace with the Palestinians, they see that as an advantage in the sense that they can continue to claim concern over security, 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 and the United States has fallen for, the, on that, for that trap for a long time, and there's no reason to, to change course at this point. As far as Iran is concerned, many Israelis will tell you this is hoax, the whole thing. Iran will never, ever dare to challenge Israel militarily because it will be wiped out. So this is, and, and, and as far as Turkey, now as far as Cyprus and the, and the gas between the two sides, the deals are being made. There is no, they don't need America's help, they don't need anybody's help for that matter, and it's already taking place. What would then going to give that urgency for the Israelis even to listen to Trump? Because he too is not going to put his foot down. That is what I'm talking about. No, those are, those are fair points. And your observations in terms of Iran, uh, in terms of India, well, in terms of Iran too, but your observations in terms of the, the openness of the, and the potential of the volume of trade. And this is only two, there's so many that's other, right. Africa, yeah, everywhere, that's right. Latin America. That's right. Um, the, these are all very fair and justified points. Um, I would come back to one of your earlier points though, and that is uh, still I think there is a recognition in Israel, correctly so, that the most precious asset that it holds is its relationship with the United States. Yes. And yes, you're right, and Israelis are right to, to take advantage of the new opportunities in India, and Prime Minister Netanyahu's trip to India was, as I understand it, largely successful. Very successful. And the Chinese approach will, will value their economic relationship with Israel without compromising its political or strategic interests, although it will still favor the Palestinians in terms of the UN and things of that nature um, is also a tremendous opportunity. However, I do think that the Jewish people understand still this is a planet of what? Uh, five billion people? I mean, how many billions are in the planet now? Five billion? It's it's more. Seven. It's approaching more? eight. Is it eight? Okay. Seven showing plus. My, my lack of seven knowledge. Seven plus, okay. yeah. In, in a planet <laughs> of, of seven plus billion people with how many Jewish people? 18 million Jewish about, just people? About, just about. Yeah. That, well, that we make it, noise more than 2 billion people. So. Yeah, okay. All right. <laughs> it's, it's still important for, for this small state of, of roughly 8 million to have uh, a, a, an incredibly, unbreakably strong bond with the United States of America. Oh, I think it's very so, important. It's very critical. Um, I, I'm not... An, I'm in the and, least suggest that that should be tempered with. I'm just saying the asset that the United States, which you so uh, you know eloquently uh, suggested, that is, will the United States use the levers in a constructive way right. in order to change the dynamics no, on the ground? That's right. And that's what hasn't, and, taken, and let, hasn't taken a place. And let's hope that President Trump uh, and, uses that. Yeah. And there's just, just one other point I wanted to mention to you to see what's your thoughts on it, and that is what's happening inside Israel itself in terms of the process. What we are seeing is a movement from left to the right, steadily growing. That the right is a growing settlement movement becoming far, far more stronger than ever before. They have in, direct input to just about every coalition government. In fact, Israel cannot form a coalition government where some element some parties that represent the settlement is not going to be in that government. So what you have now, it's a movement from the left to the right, which is growing on a day-to-day -day basis, and the opposition become really extraordinarily weak, extraordinarily weak. 
Today, I don't see any prospect of somebody from the left. Not, I don't mean left, left. I mean just left of center slightly, or even from the center, to emerge and as a leader and say, well, we are going the wrong direction. We've got to have some correction made here. I think that is probably the biggest, as another major danger that this recession is facing, because we don't have that kind of. I don't see one. Do you see one coming up? Um, well, the demographics of Israel uh, are what they are, um, and in terms of the prognosis for center or center-left political campaigns, the formula for their success, as you rightfully essentially suggest, is not to generate more interest on the left, but they need to take votes from people who would ordinarily find the center-right more attractive. Right. And so in doing uh, that type of a political strategy, you're probably going to see the center shift a little bit to the right, it already has, and the center left even shift a little closer to the center. Yeah. Um, the other dynamic, of course, is non-secular versus secular. And uh, I was at a conference this week in Israel, and the polling, if I remember correctly, essentially said that 80% of those Israelis, Jewish Israelis, who identify themselves as religious, oppose a negotiated two-state outcome. Mm -hmm. um, now, whether the numbers are exactly right or not aren't even the point. Four and out of always, five. Yeah, they're always in the government, almost right. almost continuously from day of inception, with the exception of a couple of co right. every single way that did not participate. So, so either, um, either Israelis, with the help of Americans and others, will persuade those people who identify themselves as religious to take a different point of view or maybe offer them other things so that they will not stand in the way. The, these are the questions that the Israeli people will have to decide. And the nationalists as well. I mean, you're talking sure. about Bennett and the Lieberman. These are not necessarily religious, but they're nationalists. Yeah, I, I don't think it's fair in the context of what we're talking about to put Bennett and Lieberman in the same category. No, no. I mean, Lieberman is shown to be pragmatic in certain respects in terms of negotiation with the Palestinians. He doesn't have a religious uh, No, no, I'm not saying neither of land. them does. I mean, I mean, Bennett a little bit more, but, but Lieberman... But isn't, isn't what you're really saying, it's, it's, a, it's a question of the unity of the land versus the unity of the people, or how does the unity of the land and the universe and the unity of the people coexist? That's the problem. Yeah. And there is, there is a gap. Yes, there no question. A, this is a big gap, and that is, that is the biggest problem that Israel faces today. You're terrific, as always. No, my pleasure. <laughs> my pleasure. No. Thank you for listening to this episode on the issues. You can find this podcast on my Samuel Clark page and stay tuned to my social media accounts for the latest analysis and announcements.